Feed on this one. I wanted to let you know that there's a there's a couple spots in this where you won't have to wait. But what happened was during the live stream, uh, the internet went down at my house uh, three different times for brief periods of time, and so that threw off timing some some things like that. And additionally, the guest that was supposed to be on the air with me today. Uh, we had a, an issue. I'll just leave it at that. And, and so that interview didn't happen. And that issue happened about eight minutes before the interview was supposed to take place. So I think you'll enjoy today's show. It seemed like the people in a live stream really did. But if there's a part where like you, you'll, you'll hear like a, a little pause and then it comes back and you, you'll be able to tell what happened. If I'm a little bit off there, I'm sorry. And then I had to kind of wrap up quick at the end because once I got the internet back, I didn't know how long, like the third, I didn't know how long it was going to last, and I wanted to get the show done. So this may not be my best work, but I think you'll enjoy it anyway. I hope you do, and uh, I'm going to get to work on tomorrow's show right away to uh, make up for any of the off-timing in it for you. Take care, guys, and here we go. And we are live. Let's try this again today, folks. Uh, this time, uh, we're going to just do just me. Uh, we did lose our guests today. No huge deal. Um, my guess is we might even have a better turnout on the live feed going a little later in the day. And, and being these variety shows seem to be the most uh, popular uh, shows that we do. Dodo Bird saying, I sent a request to Katie the Russian for you as a speaker at Underground Citadel 2023 on homesteading. That'd be interesting. I'm, I'm up for that. Uh while that's going on in the live feed, I'll just tell you that Katie the Russian will soon be on an episode of the Survival Podcast and Bitcoin Breakout talking about Plan B passports. So there's a little overlap there. We had some pre-chatter going on in the uh, live stream chat. Remember, guys, if you ever want to catch a live stream chat, the best thing that you can do is be on the TSPC Telegram channel or group, either one. And I always send out an announcement, especially when there's a change like there was today. And look who's here. Uh, Humble Mechanic is in the chat today as well. Uh, so this might be a fun one and time for a bit of a change up anyway. So I had to slap all of the stuff that I've got my bullet points over here together in the last roughly 45 minutes. Some of you guys helped me with that with questions on MeWe. Most of the stuff that was uh, proposed as a topic, even if I drilled it down on MeWe, is in the list. A few things weren't because they were really broad. One asked me to watch a video, and I don't think the guy did what I asked. Uh, it was like, I don't have time to watch a video. I got 40 minutes to have a whole show ready. I will tell you that um, a lot of people think that doing a podcast is is harder when you do it alone than when you have guests. And I think that's true in its faults. And, 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 and here's what I mean. From a standpoint of having a topic and doing a presentation that is the podcast – it is easier with a guest because if I bring a guest on and they're an expert in XYZ, all I have to do is ask questions about XYZ and then we can bounce off each other and all. So from a standpoint of I'm going to wake up today and I'm not prepared to do a show and doing a show, it is easier while the show's going. From a standpoint as a producer, this is way easier. 
this is way easier. I make an agenda of what I want to talk about. I go live and I talk about it. That's what I did for 18 months, by the way. People that are new to this show, for the first 18 months, I did the show in my car. So there were no guests. There were no call-ins. Occasionally there was some email stuff or whatever, but mostly it was just me. And maybe I think it's easier because that's what I did. But I think it's, it is easier to rely on the expertise as a guest, but it's easier to produce a show on your own because, well, you show up when you're supposed to show up. There's no dithering back and forth. It's, it's, it's kind of easy. Anyway, what are we going to talk about today? A bunch of stuff. Uh, before we do, though, I want to remind you guys, we do uh, have scammers that show up pretty much on all my social media accounts. I guess I wouldn't be anybody that mattered if that didn't happen. And so if you see a comment below that says it's me, contact me on WhatsApp. You get a private message on Instagram that says it's my backup account. That's all bullshit. It doesn't happen. If you want to talk to me, email me. Jack at the survival podcast.com with TSPC in the subject line. That's the best way to go. I do respond to most DMs eventually on Twitter. It's almost un, unless you're somebody that I would be targeting as a guest on the show. It's almost, you just shouldn't believe that I've DM'd you on Twitter. You really should. If you DM me, that's one thing. Uh, just make sure it's really me. I am at the survival pod C. Uh, Twitter doesn't think I'm important enough to give me a blue check. So I guess that makes me happy as well, honestly, when I think about who the blue checks are. All right. So anyway, the other thing I wanted to tell you as we get started today, I'm kind of stalling to let people get in, is we do have the TSP Swag Shop now. And uh, it's at, you guessed it, dun, 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 tspswag.com, T-S-P-S-W-A-G.com. Uh, these are the mugs and tumblers if you're in the video uh, watching it. Uh, I'm about to order one of these 15-ounce coffee cups today so that I can be hanging out with you guys and uh, and drinking. I think I'm going to get one of the tumblers as well. I'm definitely going to get a few of the shirts. Yes, I'm buying it for my own store. I don't. I always say this. I don't ask you guys to spend money unless I'd spend my money on it as well. Uh, we, we've tried to fit a bunch of different designs in for people. Some people like the, uh, the larger designs on the shirts. I actually kind of prefer more of the logo over the heart-type designs. But we have designs for everybody, short and long sleeve, both, including. And uh, Billy Bond and I are going to be doing a live stream uh, on his podcast in a couple of weeks. And uh, this is his creation, really, carbon capture composting. Uh, we have a T-shirt and we have a, a dress polo. Uh, and we'll tell you more about that one if you don't already know in a bit. We also have some pretty cool hats. We can do a lot with this shop, folks. Basically, we're seeing, like, is the demand really there? So we have a threshold that's not that high, that if we, we, we have enough units sold overall, that everything was worth building this store. And so if you want more to come, you know, pick up a shirt or a hat, get one for your friends, what have you. And then remember, part of my attire always is through the generosity of uh, John Willis at SOE Tactical Gear. You can see he's got one here that this isn't in my shop, that shop this is his. SOE, knowing it's half the battle, kind of playing on G.I. Joe. So Joe, S.O., so, right? Well, it's, a, it's cool. I like about this shirt. You know, it says on the back of it, knowing it's half the battle. And on the back, it says the other half is violence. So a little shout out to John there. All right. So let's dig on into some of the things I want to talk about today. Uh, one of the things that came in on uh, MeWe was basically, does it make sense to take a new job in the middle of or heading into an economic downturn or recession and depression, et cetera. And one thing they said was, you know, you're giving up seniority. So I think there's a, a few different ways to look at this. And a lot of it will have to do with the industry you're in, 
and does seniority mean anything? You know, if you're a union shop, it might mean everything. So if you're in a place where if layoffs come, seniority is going to matter, you might want to play it safe right now. If you're in a place where seniority really doesn't mean anything as far as layoffs or things like that, then, you know, then then that really is, is not the play. All I can tell you guys is an example of heading into an economic downturn when I made a move before the downturn and I knew the downturn was coming and why I did it and my thought process in it. So this goes way, way back. To the dot-com bubble, how, how long ago is that? Some of you weren't even uh, paying attention. Some of you were still pooping your pants during the dot-com bubble because that's how old I am now, I guess. But I was working for a company at the time called Garrettcom. And Garrettcom was a, an industrial hardware company. So we're talking like back then, like switches were brand new. It was like hubs and very low-level switches compared to today and things like that. So this was computer Ethernet hardware is what I mean when I say hardware. And it was really rugged gear, and it was really expensive gear. And the entire idea was that the company was going after things like oil and gas and industrial automation and things like that. The problem was there were certifications that you need to, like, sell into oil and gas, et cetera, that they didn't have and they didn't want to spend the money to get. And so we would sell around it, as our, our CEO often said. But he did spend, he got really smart. And in the big blow up with DSL and everything, he went for a different certification called NEBS. And NEBS let us sell into co-location facility environments with telecom carriers. And that let us sell to equipment manufacturers like Alcatel and Santerra and stuff like that, where they were building larger rack-based systems to be co-located in telco facilities, largely for DSL rollouts and things like that. And without this certification, a piece of equipment couldn't go into these facilities. And at the time, there was pretty much us and Cisco. And while we were expensive for that type of equipment, we weren't as expensive as Cisco. And we also were selling equipment that was powered by NEG 48 volt DC. Now, that's something that I would have a hard time explaining right now, what negative 48 voltage is and why it matters. Um, but just say telco equipment runs on it. And so we were the only dog in the hunt next to Cisco, and we were actually at a price advantage against them. So I sold being here in the telecom corridor a lot. I took my territory from nine of nine to two of nine in one year. I was a rock star. And we were heading into that dot-com bubble popping. On top of it, the, all these big rollouts with high-speed Internet had kind of done their thing. And I'm going into all of my customers at the end of the year, and I'm saying, hey, guys, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about next year. And I get unenthusiastic optimism. You have to read through it like, yeah, yeah, we're still going to be doing the, and they trail off, right? And you're like, and I got this vibe and I went back and I said, you know, my forecast based on my feedback from my customers looks really good. But my, my gut on the market is more than half this work is not going to happen. And a few of my customers were fully honest and say, we're already canceling like Q2 rollouts. Okay, that means you're not going to do Q1 either, and you just 
You just know, you know that. So I could see this whole mess coming. And along that time goes on, I get approached by a recruiter and come to me multiple times trying to recruit me into things I didn't want to do. And he didn't even try to recruit me into this, but there was an opportunity to come to call Microtest up in the Northeastern United States. And I was like, tell me more about this. And he's like, are you interested finally? I'm like, yeah. So when I looked at it, I realized like that sector was going to get hit too, but I had a much broader product set. Okay. And this company had an actual effing marketing budget and they measured their sales in tens of millions versus million, you know, like basically hundreds of millions instead of tens of millions of dollars. And they had, you know, a, a true distribution channel and like, did I, and I would have a regional management position rather than just a region to sell into as a regional sales VP that had nobody working for me with, with Garrett. And I ended up taking that job because I knew that that sector that we were so vested into was going to get decimated. So do you move like or all that to say, do you move during an, a coming downturn? I think you have to evaluate where you are and the position of the strength that it gives you. And that company, their ability to withstand the storm and your ability within that company to withstand their storm. Just because they make it doesn't mean you will. And then you have to look at the other opportunity. So it's not should I or should I? What is the other opportunity? For instance, when I went to Microtest, I knew that I would have opportunities taking the Northeastern region to sell into like sectors that would be largely immune to the dot-com bubble, right? Like the financial sector, like the pharmaceutical sector, like the government sector, like those guys have money anyway. And so I went in with a plan for my salespeople to go and attack that space. That's how I ended up working for Fluke, that those that know that I work for Fluke. Fluke bought, and then like we moved and then Fluke bought my company. And I was like, there was like a dozen of us out of 500 people that kept their jobs. So it wasn't necessarily the smartest move. But the company I left, Garrett, they got hammered. They, I mean, they got. I would have kept my job, but I wouldn't have made any money because I was so weighted toward the, the incentive side. So you got to look at it like that. Do I, do I become stronger given what's going on, right, do I get stronger given what's going on if the bad thing occurs? And then larger, is this a strategically good move for me? For me, it was a very good move because I went from being a high-paid sales professional to being a high-paid sales manager. So I was going to learn more. I learned about working distribution channels. Like So I wouldn't ever not take an opportunity because a downturn is coming if it's going to improve your position and your strength and your marketability going forward as a candidate. In fact, that might be the most important time to make a move. And there's a lot of opportunity in situations like this because if you can succeed in any kind of competitive space when times are tough, you develop a name very, very quickly as being good at what you do and you become much more uh, marketable. Dodobird says, which industries do you think will be re more resilient this time? I don't know. I don't know. And the reason I say that is because there is so much potential right now for things that should do well. If they can't get one key thing, one key piece of material, one key thing, piece of supply to do poorly, like automotive retail is doing poorly right now. Nothing to do with demand, nothing to do with credit availability, all about the chip shortage. And they don't have enough inventory to sell enough cars. That, that would be an example. And it's better than it was, but. I posted a picture 
not that long ago of the largest Toyota dealership on the Fort Worth side of the Metroplex here in Dallas-Fort Worth with nine cars, nine actual cars for sale on the lot. And when I went into the showroom to talk to the guy, um, there was like two dozen people filling out paperwork to buy cars. So you, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's really hard to predict. Uh, plant propagation says Bitcoin, Ether, forecast. They'll both do well. One will do better. It's Bitcoin. Um, just look at the halving cycles with Bitcoin, guys. It's, it's not going to be much different this time around. Uh, <laughs> Wicked Stepmother says, the answer is a classic Jackism. It depends. And it does depend, right? And then Akita Lady says, or Attila Lakati says, design your life or someone will design it for you. Jack, you're correct. You're correct. All right, so I need to keep going down the bullet points. Uh, the chat's coming in really fast, and it can throw me off track. If you want me to comment on your chat, first three words in all caps, I'll start it, and we'll get back to it later. And, again, I don't know if I said it, but Donovan, thank you for the $5 super chat. I appreciate it. All right. So next up, someone asked about tools to search for land. And I would say, and if I say his name too many times, he might show up. Uh, it's like saying Beal Juice too many times. But Jake Robinson, you know, if you're looking for land, he really is good at what he does. He's, he's not necessarily the best person in the world at explaining it, uh, but he's pretty good at doing it. And uh, he's he's really good at finding land that's not for sale and getting it at a discount and using some stuff. I have been using lately, just to get a feel for the marketplace and the value of land around me, uh, Zillow, which a lot of people use for home searches. But as far as, like, you know, retail, uh, 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 realtor, uh, Zillow, Redfin, all of those, the one that I found that's the best for searching for raw land is actually Zillow. And I, I've learned not to try to do um, active demonstrations in a live feed because things go wrong. But I do want to show you just a few things about Zillow. And those of you that are on the uh, that are on the audio only, you'll just have to come look this up if you want to get a better view of it. Uh, but right now, I have the Zillow screen pulled up. I'm in the land only search. Uh, you can see Dallas is in the over to the left hand side of the screen. And you're out here toward Longview, Longview and Tyler, Kilgore, Marshall. Again, for those in the audio that kind of know the area, Jacksonville down here. And I have certain parameters set up here. And so I have my land price set from $100,000 to $200,000. Uh, I have the thing set here to only wanting to see lots and land. And then under the more filter, you get a bunch more filters. Big thing that I did, though, is I set lot sizes from 10 to 50 acres. And once you do that, you'll find a lot of properties. And as you go in and out on the map looking for the area that you're looking for, you'll find that these properties that you see will change. You'll see the little dots change, and you'll see the listings change. And this is, you know, just the property that, that the first picture caught my eye. It's really beautiful. It's this beautiful road, uh, tree-lined on both sides, but that's not the property. As we kind of go look for it, you look through it, you'll see that it's really more of like a big open field. And that's just the road that it has frontage on. It does have a pond on it. That's a nice thing to see because if it has a pond on it, you can probably put more ponds on it if you want to. Uh, this is not quite a property I would be looking for. 119 on 12 acres, I think I can do better cost per acre. 
and I would want a little bit bigger piece of land. And honestly, right now, for the kind of property I'm looking for, I'm looking for more of the whole thing to be treated like this. But what I did want to show you guys is you can go into facts and features, and generally speaking, you can find out on Zillow if, and this is part of the question the person asked me, is water available? And you can see here this property has water through co-op water. Uh, it has uh, all over the road uh, co-op electricity. Electricity is available, overhead utilities, and phone service available. So that's not going to tell you if like, you could get DSL or something like that, but it does at least tick some boxes. I'm looking for off-grid property. That's you know off-grid only options. Uh, like if I didn't want power for some reason, obviously that has power and water. And as you locate the property, you can uh, and you can see that the, the little dot right there. That's where this particular property. That's not where this particular property is. Where is this particular property? Oh, it's I see it. It turned green. It's up here. It's right there. So that's where that property is. But I just want you to see as I zoom in, for instance, to get tighter on the area, you'll see the listings themselves change. Or if I drag the map. And so I found this to be very useful. And that, that one right there, I've obviously looked at this property before. And that is why it has that kind of faded color. So when you, when you're over a property, it's green. And if you've looked at it already and it's still in your cache, they know it's there. And I wanted to bring this one up real quick just to show you something. If you're a real estate agent, and again, for those that are on audio only, what I, what I have is an overhead view of the property and an outline of the property showing its shape and how it lays in the land. If you're a real estate agent and you're selling property of any size, whether it's got a house on it or raw land or not, and you don't do what you're seeing right here, do you know what you are? You're stupid. You're a moron, and whoever's paying you to market their property should immediately fire you and slap you in the face with something like a frozen fish because you're a complete and total idiot. So when I'm looking at property, I'm thinking, do I want to take a weekend and, and drive out there? This is the number one thing that I want to see, and this is the number one thing to look for. And I'm going to tell you how you can often do this for yourself, maybe not perfectly, but get a really good idea of how the land lays using some information that's here when the real estate agent is too stupid to do what you're looking at right here. But let me tell you what I'm looking for when I look at this, first of all. This property here is 31 acres. It's a little more rectangle than perfect, right? But it's not a long, narrow-ass rectangle. I want nothing to do with long, narrow-ass rectangle property. I can have 30 acres of property with my neighbors on both sides of me, on top of me, like I'm living in a suburb. Sorry, no, thank you. I want to be able to put a house or a primary residence or call it whatever I want to do as close to the damn center as I can from a logistical standpoint. The other thing I'm looking for, I'm looking for ponds because a lot of times real estate agents are stupid and they have a property with three ponds on it and they don't put that in the description and they don't put any pictures of them. I want to know that because if there's a pond already there, it's a valuable asset. The other thing that I want to know is, uh, how big the pond is. I'll tell you about how to deal with that in just a second as well. Um, but I also, like I said, if I see a pond, then I know the ground is probably okay to put more ponds in, just depending on how the you know the elevation is, the catchment, et cetera. But I know that I probably don't have a truck in Bentonite if I see a pond or two on a property. Another thing I'm looking for are creeks. I don't see any definite creeks here. 
but it might look something like that right there if you're online. So um, a lot of times you can tell that there's a creek through a property. There might actually be, that actually might be a creek right here. I'm going to have to look at this harder to know, but right there you can see the way the land runs. That might be a creek. If there's a creek on a property and you're a real estate agent and you don't put that there's a creek on a property, you're stupid and you shouldn't be a real estate agent. That's something that most people kind of get excited about. So, Let me kind of tell you one of the things you, two of the things you can do. One, you'll often see something like this right here. This one says zero County Road 111 North Overton, Texas in a zip code. This kind of sucks, right? This kind of sucks because it says zero. Now the reason they do that often is they don't, either they don't know the address because they're stupid. We should call this episode why real estate agents are stupid, right? Um, But a lot of times they do it because they don't really want to give the location. And this is in their head. There's no house here to be robbed or anything. But they generally don't want to give away the location specifically of land sometimes because they think that it invites people to come steal things or, or, or what have you. Um, trust me, the, the biggest threat to this piece of land right here is the people that live like right over there. Um, not somebody that's on Zillow. But if you can get the address or if they have even like a crappy overhead, You can probably go drop this into Google Maps, and if you see the name of that road right there, and you look at a few other things, you can probably find this property on Google Maps, where you can zoom in and zoom out and look at different layers. And if this is a creek, and I don't know that it is, but it sure looks like one, it feels like one to me, then when you go to the map view in Google Earth, you'll probably see a blue line going through there. Now you know there's a creek there. There's another thing you can do. This is not a pond right here in the center. But you, and I'll see if I can remember to put it in the show notes. If you go to Google and search for Google Maps Area Tool, you'll find a website that you can go to. And what you can do is you pull up a location either by GPS or address or what have you. And then you kind of zoom in on it and you can draw a boundary. And it will tell you the area of the boundary, meaning you can go in and look at and say, okay, the guy has a pond. It should be a pretty big pond. Is it really relative to the land? And you'll find out that, let's say, the pond is like three-quarters of an acre. That's a pretty big pond. So that's all the type of information that if real estate agents were stupid, they would include on listings, which they don't. So if you're marketing land, you should understand you're learning here, too. Now, there is... One more thing we can do with that area tool and combine for some intelligence. A lot of times, if you pull up the Google Maps images, you'll see things like these land, these, these boundaries here. And so you can actually figure out if you have like some information about where the property is, even if the agent's too stupid to see kind of how the lot lays. So you can determine like if all the lots are like super long spaghettis, that that's probably how yours is or Often you can also find, like by zooming in in certain areas, you might be able to see fence lines and things like that and get a pretty good idea of how the land lays. And if you think you know how the land lays, and then you use the maps area tool and you outline the land that you think is the land, and it said it was 17 acres and the, the tool says it's like 17.5 acres, you probably have it pretty close. Now there's a lot more to searching for land than that, But in kind of a variety on the fly show, that was just, that's the basics of what I do. And then you can dig into deeper. Again, if you find it on the Google, on Google Maps, 
you, it, a lot of times you go down to a street level view and you can see like, uh, Dan right here is saying watch for power line easements. And usually you can see that overhead, but you, you know, you really see it on street level views as well. And I just found a property that was, uh, it looked like too good to be true on the price. And what it ended up having is exactly what Dan's talking about here. A power line easement. But it wasn't like, you know, little power lines. It was like a double high, t you know, high voltage, massive towers. And it went through on a 45 degree angle across the property. It pretty much jacked it all to shit. And then in the back, like always look for big sandy looking areas from overhead, especially in the south here. Big old abandoned gas well site. So that's probably all jacked up to like over an acre of the land, jacked up the shit. Sometimes those sites are good though. If they only take a little bit of an area, you go look at it. It's not badly polluted or anything. Maybe they put in roads and other infrastructure that gets left behind. So it's always six to one half dozen the other. So my number one tool in my area to find raw land has been Zillow lately. And I found some pretty interesting stuff that way. Um, but again, If I say his name again, he'll probably come. That's only twice, though, isn't it? Ellie said it's twice. Jake Robinson might be worth reaching out to on the Telegram list uh, and uh, maybe give him uh, uh, some some few bucks to uh, to find you a property. If you're ready to go in a cash buyer, right, and you know what you're looking for, he can probably help you anywhere. He has access to, like, uh, some pretty sophisticated tools. I'm not going to say his name again, though, because... It's like Beetlejuice, 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 isn't it? Is Beetlejuice coming? Lori Lightfoot? Anyway, let's move on. So I just wanted to tell you about something that um, Dorothy and I are watching and we're really enjoying. Now, it's only like eight episodes, so if you're the kind of person that binges through something, you'll binge through it pretty quick. But they're hour-long episodes, and it is called 112263. So my history buffs and my conspiracy buffs know full well what that date is. Anybody in the live chat without cheating know what date that is? 11-22-63. That is the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And there's a novel called 11-22-63. And it's not really a conspiracy theory thing. It's not like Oliver Stone's JFK at all. It is a sci-fi conspiracy. I guess it's sci-fi. The concept is there is this rabbit hole at a diner. And you go through the rabbit hole and you end up in like the middle of the year in the same town the diner is, it's in Maine, in 1960. That's where you end up. And every time you go through it, if you did anything to change anything, when you come back out, if you go back in, everything resets to the normal timeline. And the guy that owns the diner discovers it. He becomes obsessed with stopping JFK assassination. Now, you're aging on the other side. So you're three years every time leading up to the assassination. You come back out. You come back out for, I don't know what reason the author chose it, but two minutes from the time you went in. So you were only gone two minutes, but if you were there for two years, you've aged two years. Well, the dude ends up with cancer and he's dying, and he takes his English teacher and he hands off the mission to the English teacher. And the English teacher's like, 
surveilling Lee Harvey Oswald. He, I don't want to give away like some of the stuff that's really twisty in it that would ruin it for you. We're like on episode six. I think we have two episodes, seven and eight to go still. Um, but a, it's got a ton of facts, factual stuff into it. Like Lee Harvey Oswald's Russian buddy. It was a really rich guy that hung out with Lee Harvey Oswald, even though Lee Harvey Oswald lived in a complete shithole, shithole apartment, right? Um, it's, yeah, it's Stephen King is involved, Jeff. You're correct. Uh, Stephen King, I don't, I think it was actually Stephen King and J.J. Abrams combined that, that, that did the, uh, that did the uh, production of this thing, which you know it's going to be good then. And, uh, it's, it's freaking crazy. How interesting this is. And, but those of you that like, like the time travel conundrums, that like the paradoxes in things, it's really interesting from that, uh, standpoint as well. K-Bonk's asking Netflix. I don't know if it's on Netflix. It's on Hulu. We've canceled Netflix and we have Hulu. What Dorothy and I decided was we will only have one streaming service at a time, and if we get bored with what's on it, we'll look for something we want to watch as a keystone on another one, we'll cancel it and switch over. So that's that was just a, a decision that we made, and we, we canceled Netflix back when they uh, released their quarterly report that said, like, everybody was canceling Netflix and their numbers went down, and it was funny, like, the day after I canceled it, I went on and was listening to uh, Pomp's podcast, and he said they did the same thing because they remembered to do it because of the quarterly report that sucked. And I was like, what are the odds that two podcasters would go on air and talk about that on the same day? It was kind of crazy. But it's on Hulu. Really, really interesting. Uh, and I do love the, the time travel paradoxes in it, but it's got something really interesting in it that I've never seen in a time travel-themed show before. Time pushes back. Time pushes back. In other words, when you're trying to alter something that's going to be significant, like, and I'm not even talking about Kennedy here. Somebody's not going to die who was going to die. Time pushes back. Or you never had to say goodbye to your dad, and now you're there and you want to make a phone call, and, like, the phone shorts out. Or people show up out of nowhere and say, you're not supposed to to be here, things like that. It's really freaking cool. It has nothing to do with survivalism or preparedness. It does have a lot of interesting lens into history. And I'll tell you, I found another thing because of associated. In fact, I actually, we found the 112263 because of another thing we're watching. It's a probably made for discovery or your learning channel or something like that. One of these ones where they put like an agent, like a CIA agent on investigating something from the past. And it's an investigation into the Kennedy assassination itself where the, this agent and this cop, they go like go to Mexico city. They're looking for the woman that was arrested and interrogated that um, Oswald, she's still alive apparently when they made it. And Oswald met with her like eight weeks before the assassination at the Cuban embassy. And this woman was arrested and, I mean, brutally interrogated by the Mexican federales and then let go. She still lives in Mexico City. She claimed to have only met Oswald once when he threw a fit at the Cuban consul after the 
Russians threw him out of the Russian console. And, uh, but then there's people like, no, 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 she, she, she went partying with Lee. So I, I'm not to the part yet where they, uh, they, they, they get to talk to her. And there's a lot of bullshit in it. And it's one of those, uh, like true crime documentary type things that it's great to have on a streaming service. Cause when they're like standing in the dark hallway and I don't know if they'll talk, you just jump 30 seconds at a time through all their bullshit and just see the interesting parts. It was, it, it's really, uh, pretty cool. I don't know if they ever found Babushka. We'll see. We'll see. Cause I haven't gotten that far yet, but I'm trying to like, Finish the, the fiction one before I go back to the real one so I don't mix the two together because, you know, the fantasy side of the other one. Anyway, um, but because of that, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of, a lot of reality in, in the uh, fiction thing. Anyway, let's move on from there. Um, Brandon is at it again. They let him speak without his teleprompter and he's back to If you think you're going to defend the freedom of your nation with, with assault rifles, you're not gonna, you're going to need like F-15s and something stronger than that, right? Um, what I find ironic about this is that the anti-gun people actually think saying something like this is a good idea, right? It, 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 this actually makes sense. In some way, that this is actually a good case for their cause. The president of the United States, who just a week ago said half the country are semi-fascists, while he points the Justice Department at his own political appoint, uh, opponent, which is fascism, one one of the hallmarks of fascism anyway. Um, The whole economy of the United States is fascist anyway, guys. But but that's from the authoritarian standpoint, like literally using the justice apparatus to go after your political opponents. That's that's fascist. You learn that it, when you go to school to get your fascist degree, right? They teach you that in, in day one about using your political, you know, using uh, the law enforcement against your political opponents. So he's, he does that one week. The next week he's out threatening gun owners again. With F-16s, at least he didn't say nuclear bombs this time. Uh, yeah, Plan Propagation USA says, I'd like an F-15, please. And what I have in my notes is Brandon's at it again, found to buy an F F-15 or two, I guess. No, but this is just the irony to me, that these these idiots from the political left, they're the greatest gun salespeople in the history of gun sales. Like, here's an example. We have really big gun shows in in Fort Worth, uh, Texas. I mean big. I mean like Will Rogers Center. You go into the conference area that they have the gun show in. And you're talking probably off the top of my head thinking about it. Four acres under roof, tables up and down. And you walk through it, and it's like walking through not quite a Black Friday sale, but around the holidays at a department store everywhere you go. And the tables are not, like, they're not that far apart from each other. There's probably, you know, 20 rows of tables front both sides. So you got guys with their tables set on, like, you know, vertically like this. And they got, there's guys 
back to back against each other. And so you're up and down the rows. It takes a couple hours to walk the show because of how much there is to see and because of how crowded it is. So during the Obama administration, we would go to gun shows and I did several uh, TSP meetups like, Hey, we'll go have a beer after we buy guns or whatever, you know? And then like, it was like a party, right? It was like a party going to a gun show. And, uh, you know, you, you have to walk through the loophole to get in. It was great. We walked through the loophole together and all it was fun. And what I would really do is say, you know, I'll be there by two o'clock and I'll be over by, uh, the, the, the back corner of the place at, at 1430 and, 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 People would email me and I'd send them a, my, my phone and say, text me when you're there. And we just, you know, maybe a dozen TSPers walking around a gun show together. So Trump won the election in 2016 and we went through Christmas and my buddy David and I, I, I kind of knew not to try to do the old thing, right? With, with running a TSP kind of meetup there. But my buddy David and I are like, you know what? Let's just, uh, let's just go to this gun show. It was like a funeral instead of a party. It was just as big. Like, I guess a memo didn't go out. The business wasn't going to be as good. So all the vendors showed up. It was kind of nice because you could take your time, walk through, and see everything. That was kind of nice. We, we probably spent more money on jerky than ammo and guns. But once Trump won, all of that party mentality, that happy mentality, that like, I gotta make sure I get another gun mentality was gone. And, and, and what David and I realized is like, we had bought so many guns between us in the previous eight years. We really weren't looking for anything. It's not like, well, I'm looking for X or Y or Z, right? We were just kind of like, if I see something that's interesting. And so we were kind of like, it was like a, Again, it was like going from, instead of going to a party, going to a wake, and not that many people showed up considering the party who had passed. And I'm thinking that maybe the next big Fort Worth gun show, assuming it doesn't happen October 1st and 2nd when I'm in Tennessee for Self-Reliance Festival, which it probably will, we should do that again. You guys that are local, we should just set a meetup time, Go to a gun show and see how many guns Brandon is selling. And it's been a while since I bought a gun. So I'm just saying maybe I'll do a pre-gun show MSB sale to set a budget for myself to buy something cool. And here's my big thing. You have this guy, this dementia patient in the White House. And this guy's like, you can't defend nothing with an AR-15 or an AK-4. We got F-15s. We got F-16s. We got napalm. We got nuclear bombs. He's threatening you not, not this time, but in the past, threatening American people with nuclear bombs. Then why are you so upset about me going out and buying a gun? We got this, this, this idiot. It's like, you can't overthrow the government with your assault weapons. But on January 6th, a, a dude in ash chaps and a few hundred other people with no guns almost overthrew the government. Brandon, you can't have it both ways, but here's to the next one that works out. I'm going to do a TSP meetup at a Fort Worth gun show, probably Will Rogers Center. We'll see if that's where they run it. But I bet you it won't be like a wake with Brandon running his mouth the way that he is right now. They're the greatest gun salespeople on the planet. 
another person asked me about developing greater pattern recognition in life. And where do I go to do this? You go out your door. But I think the most important thing is when you look at anything, it probably fits a pattern. So an easy one is bullshit Fenord headlines from the media, which I'll, I'll use that because I've talked about it before. But the formula is some bullshit that sounds scary, comma, experts say. You can literally write an article with that headline about anything, about anything at all. So South Park, who's done everything, did this with, like, the ancient alien show, where they were showing, like, like, well, would you say this? Well, would you say that part again? And then they only play that part. Or it could have been built by aliens, right? And then they, you know, so it's like, well, actually, there's, like, five other explanations that make sense. And then sarcastically, or it could have built by built by aliens. Oh, we didn't get that last part. He said it again. Or it could have been built by aliens. Can you say it one more time? Or it, and then they just, it could have been built by aliens. You can find experts to back up anything you propose. The Earth could be flat. Scientists say. What the hell's a scientist? All kinds of people call themselves scientists. That are, is it anybody with a degree in any science whatsoever? Can I find two that will go on record? Maybe that are crazy with a claim? Well, then I can write an article that says blah, 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 comma, scientists say. See how that works. So there's a pattern. So some patterns are really obvious, right? Some patterns are really obvious, and some patterns are more subtle. But just understand that almost anything you look at, and patterns aren't negative or positive. They're just there. So we're talking about a pretty negative pattern of propaganda from the U.S. Uh, media. But there's patterns to the Christmas tree. There's a pattern to a Nautilus shell in a Fibonacci sequence. There's a pattern to weather in the micro, which, believe it or not, micro is a year. That's micro in the cosmic timeline. The micro of the four seasons And there's a pattern in a, more of a macro, like a decade or century. And, you know, La Nina and El Nino, as far as precipitation patterns in the southern United States, etc. And we can see patterns there. Fishing is all about patterning the species. If you've ever watched a TV show, like today we're going out for white bass. And they go out and they start catching 99% white bass. How do they do that? What time of year is it? What do white bass do this time of year? What time of day is it? What are white bass at this time of day? What, what do they feed on this time of day or time of year? And if it's, if it's early spring and there's moving streams coming into the lake, they're probably swimming up a stream like little salmons and they'll eat anything. If it's, if it's the summer and it's really hot and the thermocline sets in, There's going to be certain structures that relate to, but they're probably sitting just above the thermocline. And if we troll at about 20 foot, we're going to pick them up. Because there's so many of them stacked there that one of them is going to be dumb enough to go look something shiny. That's a pattern. There's a pattern to everything. This is the good news about pattern recognition. You are predisposed to see it. It's why you look at a wall switch, and it's like, One switch is up and the other four are down. It's not just OCD that makes you want to change that. 
It, it's not, it doesn't look right, right? That's a pattern. And you've noticed something out of sequence. And that's why you, even if you, even if it doesn't bother you as much as maybe it bothers your friend, you still noticed it. That one switches up. And I, I've literally had like a double switch and like the lights come on the front and the back of a room and one's up and one's down, but the lights are out and there's a second switch and you go throw that one so you can make them the way they're supposed to be because you see the pattern. So the way to get better at pattern recognition is to spot as many patterns as you can. And then when you spot a pattern, say, where else does this pattern appear? And is this pattern a pattern in a geometric sense? Or is this a pattern of procedure or a pattern of behavior? So if you look at comma experts say as a pattern, it's both a, a pattern of behavior and a pattern of procedure. This is now an acceptable way to write an article. So that's a behavior pattern. And it's an acceptable way to sell an idea, even if it's ludicrous. So it's a procedure pattern. Those are just some things that, uh, that you can look at. And Wicked Stepmother is saying something's true. And I've only got one in the queue right now, guys. So you got to do it. Uh, I'm a little off today having to come up with this on the fly. Put the first part in all caps if you want to make sure he catches it. That's true. Make sure. All right. Next up. And this is a pattern, and it's why I selected it. It was a conversation going on on MeWe next to my post, not in the post. Why they always say we? Why they always, and I have they in quotes and we in quotes. And uh, the guy talking about it said, you know, he's the kind of guy that's always like, do you have a mouse in your pocket? And I said, I think I've said, who the F is we? More often I've said, can I have a beer? Because people always say that, we. So let's talk about the why of it and, and the insidious nature of, I guess you would call it applied collectivism. Maybe applied isn't the, 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 uh, the, the, the word. In sales, we have a thing called an assumptive close. So maybe it's assumptive collectivism. So assumptive close would be like, and so if I can just get you a sign here, we'll get that set up for you. That's an assumptive close. It's a very aggressive assumptive close. I've assumed you want it. I haven't asked you if you want to buy. You haven't said you want to buy. I've just put the piece of paper in. And the reason you do that is like about half the people that have the means to buy a thing will literally buy it if you do that. That's a way to have a lot of unhappy customers, by the way, because you haven't properly filtered. But that's why they teach salespeople to do that. So we is kind of an assumptive collectivism. I'm assuming you into the collective like the board, whether you want to be part of it or not. There, and he's like, why does it bother me so much? And I, I'll tell you, that's an interesting question. Now, the, I think the reason that it bothers people so much is you know full well they're not we. The person saying it is seldom in the we. It's one thing when somebody says we and they're doing assumptive collectivism, but they actually see themselves as part of the group and they're trying to drag you into their group. When the media says we, right, or we're all in this together, we're all in this. That's the dumbest thing I've ever. The person that's eating, you know, Nancy Pelosi eating $27 a quart ice cream out of a $20,000 freezer is telling you we're all in this together. The privileged person who has their hair and makeup done for them every day at the studio at CNN, who, who lives like in, in, in one of the most expensive and prestigious 
places on the planet tells you we're all in this together. And it says we. And it makes me think way, way back to the dawn of TSP. I don't know when, but I was still driving in my car. So sometime between mid-2008 and uh, the end of 2009. Somebody wrote in, and this was right after, it had to be in 2009 because this is after Obama had become president. And Michelle Obama had been stumping for her husband throughout the entire election and saying things like, folks are trying to get ahead. Folks are working really hard. Folks are this. Folks are that. Folks are this. Right. And they said it was jading them like they they hated her for it. And they didn't know why. And they felt like they were being and they didn't know like why. And they were like, the reason they asked me is they said, you say folks all the time. Same word. And I don't get pissed off. Why? And I said, because I was doing an assumptive collectivism, but not in a negative way, right? Like, I was saying, folks, like, we're all in this discussion together. We're not all in this together, but we're in the discussion together. Like, my friends, thank you for tuning in today, right? So listen, folks, right? Where she was using folks as an apart, it was very clear, instead of trying to pretend to be part of the the, the, the collective, She was setting people apart from it as the little people over here. Remember, um, remember Christmas Vacation, the boss that uh, Dennis Quaid ended up abducting at the end and putting a ribbon on his ass and kicking him in the ass out of the house. That guy, right? Right. Remember when he was talking to Clark and he's like, "Little people like you, Clark." So it's it's funny that those people will piss us off both when they point out. The truth about us and how they see us, that we're shit and peons. But at the same time, I think it'll piss you off even more when they say we need to. Because you're like, there's no we here. You mean me. Rules for thee and not for me. Like if anything is made, like the fact that anybody buys into anybody's bullshit after the last two and a half years, it floors me. As pessimistic as I am. The fact that somebody still believes any credibility whatsoever in government or the media, it, it, it astounds me. That any, even when they're telling you the truth, it's only to sell you a lie. Anybody doesn't see that. I don't, I'm not calling you stupid or nothing. I just don't get it. I don't understand. Clearly, we're not we. right? But I, I think that the reason that they do it is that you want to gin up support for a thing And you want to convince people to be afraid, for instance, so that they'll all hide. Then we have to say we. Because if I say they or those people or this group over there, well, it doesn't apply to me. I'm not in that group. But if I want you to be afraid of terrorists or a disease or another political party, then I got to make sure that it's we. It's just another, it's a pattern. It's another means of control. And it's a very effective means of control. Psychological control is more powerful than any individual government organization. Psychological controls are more powerful than one person with a gun. Psychological controls are how we get the monkeys to police themselves. And I do think we're going to make a shirt that says, I am Professor Falcon. I really do, because the only way to win that game is not to play it. Yeah, there is no we. Don't, don't put me in your way. And I think one of the best things that you can do is as soon as there's a pattern, and then, well, how do I respond to the pattern? So if I find a pattern that's useful, I might design it into a larger pattern like in permaculture design, right?
right? There's a whole chapter in the design manual about pattern because it's so valuable. But the other thing is if it's a negative pattern, I'm not talking an image negative, negative imagery, right? I'm talking about a negative pattern and its consequences to my life. As soon as I see it, I'm out. I'm out. When somebody says we need to, and I know I'm not we, and I don't want to be we, it's we're, we're done with the discussion. Now, if it's an actual, it doesn't mean I'm be rude to somebody or whatever, but we're just done. Like, we my ass. I ain't French. You got a mouse in your pocket? Where, where, where are you getting this we stuff from? Like, I think it's one of the most valuable things you can do is to realize when you're not part of we. And to choose. That's the other thing. This is the really interesting thing about this topic. You're not we because they say you are. You're only we when you choose to become we. When you decide that I need to be afraid of this thing or I need to react to this thing or I need to be angry about this thing. And it's amazing how many of us that when we were given that message, we needed lockdown. We need to get shots in the arm. We need it. Just went great for you, but I'm not we. And we were attacked. Now I'm using we, like there's certain words you can't really get around. This particular group of individuals that you may or may not be part of, but if you were, was attacked as being the crazy ones. Just trying to kill grandma, whatever else they came up. All because we chose, this group of individuals chose, I feel like I'm in, uh, what was it, not sure and, uh, idiocracy. This particular individual, this particular group of individuals chose to not be we. It's interesting that one of the most horrific things for people in power that you can choose is to not be we. And you see this when it comes to the slave suggestion box. What's the slave suggestion box? Some of you know. Voting. Right? I would like a different master this time, please. Yeah? Okay. So you tell somebody, I'm voting for Ask Clown A, and they support Ask Clown B. What do they do? They try to convince you that Ask Clown A is worse than Ask Clown B, and, and of all the reasons that you should vote for Ask Clown B. But they don't completely lose their mind. Unless Ask Clown A is Donald Trump. Then they lose their mind. They got Trump derangement syndrome. But overall, in general, 99.9% .9 of the time, the pattern is I support Ask Clown A, you support Ask Clown B. Let's discuss the merits of both. And in the end, I might not be happy with you, but you're doing your duty and you're voting. All right? Okay. Tell that person, oh, I don't vote. They lose their freaking minds. Why? I'm not weak. I'm not going to get in your monkey shit throwing contest because I don't want monkey shit on me. Right? Then refuse to debate them. Well, I'm going to tell you why I think it's important to vote. I'm glad you think that it's important to vote. Have fun voting. Bye-bye. Go read the article I wrote in 2014 on the Survival Podcast website called Why I Won't Be Voting This Year. In the entire thing, I didn't once say that you shouldn't vote. I said that my vote wouldn't matter. I laid out a mathematical case for why my vote wouldn't matter and said, I've seen this movie before. I'm walking, like the end of it was like, I'm leaving the, the, the stale popcorn on the sticky floor and walking out before the movie ends because I already know how it ends. And by the way, it ended exact. I literally predicted the entire election that year 
and said how it would end. And everything that came after it, like the Republicans would sell you out on health care, they wouldn't actually, like all of it's in there. You go read it. It's, it's insane how accurate it was. Then read the comments. There's over a hundred comments. Usually an article on a blog gets like 20 comments at the most if I put up an article. There's over a hundred, and they're almost all visceral hatred and loathing that I dared not vote. And literally blaming me for the bad things in the country from both sides. Now here's this funny thing. Let's say that you're like, you should vote for Ask Clown A. And I'm like, I don't vote. If you think, if I did vote, I would vote for Ask Clown B, you should be happy. That's one less vote for your opponent, the opponent to your Ask Clown. Your Ask Clown is now more likely to win if I don't vote. If you believe voting matters, I don't. In 99% of districts, it doesn't matter. A thousand more people show up, nothing will change. Even if they all vote on one side, it's still, there's... It's, it's not close enough. But you should be happy. But these people would be happier if you voted against them than if you abstained. And why? You said, I'm not we. When I vote against you, even if you don't like how I'm going to vote, I validate your system. I validate your system. And people will say things like, you have a duty to vote. Well, that means that one of these two people is entitled to my endorsement. That was my main case in that article all those years ago. I don't want to give my endorsement to somebody I see as a traitor to the country that I am a, a citizen of. And since I have yet to see somebody that's not, that I can vote for, I don't vote. Show me one that I don't feel that way about, and I'll consider voting. Oh, they got so mad. So mad, so angry. Because you said, not just, I'm not we. I do not recognize the validity and the authority of your system in my life. That's what they're really afraid of. That's what they're really terrified of. If you get enough people that just say, I don't recognize your authority. See, if it's one person, and you're like, I don't recognize your authority, and they're Eric Cartman, which is what all the bureaucrats are. That's what Cartman is when he's like, I have a tohete. Like, like, that's what that is from South Park. That's what they're pointing at. That's your average cop. That's your average bureaucrat. You will respect my authority, and they will bring in other people with authority, and they'll do anything from tase you to bear spray you to shoot you to get you to do it. But every time one more person says, I don't recognize your authority in my life. And their numbers dwindle and our numbers grow. The impact of their authority declines because enforcement in our type of system requires the support of the general population to self-police. So I don't need the authority of the state to tell me that it's wrong if somebody steals shit from my neighbor. I will protect my neighbor's shit. I'll self-police that. But I'm not going to self-police the fact that some guy down the street's growing a plant in a closet. I don't give two shits, and I'm not going to. And so many people have always felt that way. But what's happening more and more is people are expressing it. And so the reason you get that extremely 
visceral response from your friend, your neighbor, your uncle, your co- college uncle's firm, former room, your, your father's uncle's former roommate, right? Whoever. When you say, I'm not participating, is because they know this intrinsically, inside themselves, subconsciously. I am invalidating you. That's what you're actually saying. That system you believe in, I don't. I am not we. Let me know the way. I am not we. I like that. Maybe we'll make that a shirt too. All right. Next. Um, somebody asked me a totally different thing. What about renting space on hip camp and staying safe with strangers on your property? So I have a couple of different things on this. One, I think a lot of this can be filtered with expectations being set in a listing. So if you set fairly stringent expectations in a listing of how the place has to be treated, what can and can't be done, the type of people that make trouble usually go, not really a good idea here. This is not what I'm looking for. Because trouble is going to be a lot less likely to be some group of, like, like motorcycle gang or something that's going to abduct your family and more likely to be people just in general screwing shit up or upsetting other guests. The kind of people that go do the things that I can tell this person's afraid of generally don't like leave a paper trail by renting the space on hip camp. Right. The other thing you can do is you can, if you want to be really careful until you get a better feel for how things work, people that use hip camp, Airbnb, all that stuff, the, the customer develops a reputation just like the host. So you might just simply refuse to take people who have never rented from somebody before, that don't have at least one successful rental. That would be one thing that you could do. Um, but then the other side of this is, and this is something I talk, because I, I, I get questions about risk constantly in so many things. Risk of, you know, going out when there's a pandemic, <laughs> right? risk of taking a new job, risk of this, risk of that, right? There is a risk associated with putting your shoes on and leaving your house. There's a risk associated, right, with getting in your car and driving somewhere. There's a risk associated with that. There's a risk associated with going to an area in town that you've never been to before because you don't know what it's like there, and maybe it's a little bit more seedy. There's there's a risk in getting on an airplane. There's a risk in crossing the street. There's a risk in going to a gun range because when you go to a gun range, some guy might have a psycho psycho event at a gun range and, and he's got a gun. But you're probably more likely to get shot at a restaurant from some psycho than at a gun range. Because you know, the funny thing about gun ranges is if somebody goes psycho at a gun range, everybody there is going to shoot him. Right? There's a risk in everything in life. And the way we deal with risk is two things, protocol and procedure. So a procedure is how you do a thing. And a protocol is how you do a thing specifically under a set of circumstances. So I have a, let's say, a procedure for um, the way that we day-to-day see to the security on our property. And then we would have an elevated protocol if there were riots going on down in Fort Worth and there was more likely to have problems. Or if the power is out and there's people that are out stealing shit, like there's an elevated protocol. So an elevated protocol might be, you know, you don't leave the house unarmed. An elevated protocol might be, 
you know, the kid can generally play outside by himself with just the dog with him. But if there's an elevated protocol, there's at least two people together. So what I would do is I would develop, at least until you become more comfortable with how this is going to flow, because I've not done it, I don't know, a protocol for the way you conduct business while you have tenants. And I think pretty quick you'll figure this out. But I would just say that if there was a big problem with people using hip camp, taking families hostage or something, there wouldn't be a hip camp. And this is why I am, I am totally opposed to like social credit scores or like, it wasn't even really a social credit score, but in the, the, the series Black Mirror, where it was like you were rated and that depended where you could rent an apartment. I guess it kind of was a social credit score. It was just a little bit different than what China has. Like anything like that I'm opposed to, but developing a traceable, trackable reputation in a free market system so that I know you're okay. Like it's safe to let you, like I, not just that I know you're, you're not a danger. I know you're not a douchebag. I see. And when it comes to renting a, a Airbnb, or bringing somebody into a private campground or a hip camp or a glamping site or something like that. I am more worried about the douchebag factor than the dangerous factor. I'm worried you're going to, you're going to, to be bluntly, you're going to fuck shit up. You're going to make a mess and you're not going to clean up after it. So part of that is, you know, if you use a higher uh, deposit threshold, for instance, like this is the money that you get back, right? If you don't mess stuff up, Well, the person that messed stuff up is not going to be comfortable with that high threshold. But the person that doesn't mess stuff up, that sees you're a good host, is going to be fine with it because they don't mess stuff up. Like, I don't care if my security deposits 250 bucks on a rental. I don't care because I know I get it back. I know I get it. It's just not even that concern to me. Whatever. So my money is in hawk for a week. I don't care. I get my money back. Right? There's a system in place to make sure I get my money back. And I know what you're doing. You're protecting your property. And that means, to me, I'm a high-quality renter because I like seeing things like that. I like seeing strict uh, requirements because I know I'm not going to walk into this place and it's going to reek of cigarettes even though it's marketed as a non-smoking rental, that type of thing. I, I wouldn't over-worry about it. Someone here said Mike, Mike Sentex, right? Mike said no risk, no profit. I think that's the case. Like You have to accept that there is risk in life. And again, guys, if you have stuff for me to comment on at the end, make sure it's all caps. I don't see a lot of all caps. Uh, next up, I want to talk to you a little bit about the bad place. Well, the bad place and not going to the bad place. I recently had an encounter with somebody in the comments section on one of my videos who's in the bad place. They're in the bad place with politics and fighting the government and the state. They agree with me like 99% of the time, but they wanted to pick a fight with me. Why? I don't know. The, the 1% of the time that we don't agree or that, that they're, I, I would think with this person, it's actually more that they, they are more prone to violence than me and they're angry with me for not wanting to promote violence. That, that's what it seemed like. Mentally unstable individual. That's the bad place. And in our world of preparedness, and agorism, and freedom, and liberty, and the political aspect of it, There's two places that people go to the bad place with. And one is more of the preparedness, catastrophic, danger bad place. And the other one's more of the political bad place. Well, let me tell you something about your enemy here, which is the state 
all the alphabet agencies, the government, the bureaucrats, the banks, etc. They want you in the bad place. They love it when you're in the bad place for two reasons. One, you are dramatically ineffective when you're in the bad place. So if you're a loud mouth that's always talking shit, but you're not actually going to do anything, you're just blowing steam and energy. All you're, you're on a treadmill and you're running as fast as you can and you, you're a battery in the matrix just like the obedient battery. You're both batteries and so they don't care. If you actually mean your shit and you actually go out and do something violent, if you do something stupid, then you, they don't care if some, they're like, well, they don't want to see anybody get hurt. They don't give a fuck who gets hurt. Okay. They don't care who gets hurt. They don't care. The people that are actually setting policy, the people that actually run the world, they don't care that three people over here got hurt. They don't give a shit that somebody got hurt. Doesn't matter to them. Especially if those people getting hurt advance their agenda. So when that person who went to the bad place makes a pipe bomb or some stupid shit and hurts people or holes up in a place and they have to gun them down, they use that to advance their agenda. So the bad place either makes your, the entire group that they can associate with you. And no matter how, the, the, you know, how far apart the real group is from this individual who's in the bad place, they will collectively use the invocation of we to create that association and say, well, half the country's semi-fascist. See? Right? Why? Because they voted for the orange man? Right? They voted for the insurrection that almost took the government over with no guns, even though you can't do it without F-15s? No matter how absurd, no matter how absurd the assertion is, it will work. That's how stupid the population is. There is no more people more stupid than those that believe themselves to be falsely educated. Yes, I just changed a quote, but it's true. The most stupid society is highly educated. They're just educated to be stupid. And that's our society today. We've never had a time where people have more access to information, in general have more knowledge, but are stupider. And the definition given by Bonhoeffer in the theory of stupidity. So they love the bad place. With preppers, they love the bad place because then you can make out preparedness to be like all a bunch of conspiracy theory nutshots with bunkers in the wilderness. While you say on your own FEMA website, you should have at least three days worth of food, water, and supplies around in case something goes wrong. Again, no matter how absurd it is, the people will believe it. Now, why wouldn't you want a prepared society? Because they're difficult to govern. The number one tool of the state, actually, they go hand in hand. Fear and force. F squared. Fear and force. Thank you, Donovan, for the $10 super chat. I appreciate it. Fear and force. Or another way to put it would be fear and violence. The state is violence. So the more prepared you are to deal with an economic downturn, the less likely you are to beg them for, for, for them to pump money into the economy. Somebody commented in one of the videos recently, they were dead on, 
Of course they're going to do more stimulus because the only way that they can make the GDP go up. There's not enough people working. There's not enough market. There's not enough stuff to, 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 to numerically counter a recession. The only thing they can do is throw more, more money in. That's all that they can do. I think I'm going to star that one there. I like that one yet. That's all they can do now is pump more money in. And if they can't pump it in with stimulus checks, they'll spend it on something like student debt forgiveness, green energy, inflation reduction act. The president, not the president, the governor, he thinks he's the president, the governor of Pennsylvania said we literally said this week we need inflation stimulus checks. Think about that. Really think about it. We need inflation stimulus checks. We need inflation stimulus. We need to stimulate inflation. Really, really good. Really, really great. Great stuff, man. I, I, I just don't even know how to respond to that. Right. Other than it's absurd on its face, but you do have to stay out of the bad place. And I've seen the bad place come not just with the political violence. And I've had people emailing me recently saying you should like when I did the show about an insurrection and talked about our version of insurrection, which is rendering them obsolete and irrelevant in our lives through peaceful means. Like you need to reach out to this podcaster and this podcaster, both that I know, both that I respect. And my answer to reaching out to them and telling them this is no. They're either in the bad place or circling it. And me reaching out to them right now will push them into it. What happens is when you research history and you see all of the horrors that the state has done, you start to come to the inevitable conclusion that it will happen again. And you start to think we need to fight and we need to fight faster. We need to fight now. But you miss the part where the very thing you're advocating for was the tool that they used to accomplish what they were after. But preparedness can lead to the bad place, too. I can think of a former member of this community. He went in the bad place. Some of you know who I'm talking about already. When the COVID started, he lost his shit. Why? Because if you live every day looking at all the things that can go wrong, you eventually figure that one of them has to happen, and it's going to be really bad and really horrible, and everybody's stupid but you. And if you already have a preponderance to think that way, well, then it just gets reinforced. And I'll tell you the number one thing that puts people in the bad place, whether it's government, bad place, where, where like you get like violent tendencies toward government. I can be, you can be angry at government and still realize violence is not the answer, especially uh, offensive violence. Uh, offensive violence is, is always a bad idea because your enemy excels at violence. Right. You always have to fight your enemy where he's weak. Well, the state's not weak at violence, so violence doesn't work on the state. Or preparedness or other things. The number one thing is the person is either largely alone or only around other people that think the way that they do. When you start to go into the bad place, and like let's say you're a divorcee and you live alone and the only people you talk to are online or you don't even do that, and there's no one around to check your bullshit, 
you can end up deep into the bad place. This happened with a family member of mine very recently, and I'm very surprised he was pulled out of it. This is going on with another family member of mine right now, and I don't think she'll ever come out of it in two totally different ways. And so I, I think that we always need to focus on what can be done. We always need to be optimistic. But the biggest thing we always need to never lose sight of is hope. When you lose sight of hope, that's when you go into the bad place. And the bad place either becomes a place of psychosis or, in the worst instances, it ends in self-harm. Stay away from the bad place. And if you feel that you're heading to the bad place, you probably are. And so get optimistic and get around other optimistic people. That's that, that's the best advice I can give there. Um, so that was kind of ch- pushed on by another thing that somebody asked about on the MeWe post, staying positive during an economic squeeze, right? So when you are fighting your ass off and you're one of the people really caught in this inflation spiral. And you were getting ahead a little bit, just a little bit every year. And then the COVID hit and the shutdown hit and then the inflation hit. And now you're trying to claw your way back to where you were. And then, you know, something breaks or somebody gets sick or somebody else loses a job or something goes wrong or your brother needs a bad, like, and you just feel like, ah, oh, I'm never going to win at this. There's a couple things. One, we tend to make things, and this is part of the bad place, we tend to make things in our head worse than they are in reality. So we mentioned the story uh, about Kennedy, the fiction story from Stephen King. Well, Steve, it's not really a horror one, right? Stephen King's written a lot of horror stuff, too. And what he said about that is, the, le- the less I describe the monster, the worse the monster will be in your mind. And so one thing we have to do is we often have to realize that as bad as things are, they're not as bad as we've made them out to be. Because we have a propensity to make things worse than they are. I'm thinking of a friend of mine right now who's always had a problem with this. Who I remember one time, this is the guy I talked about the accident where we ended up on the highway on I-35 in the middle of Kansas, and it was 30 below zero wind chill. And we got a wreck. It wasn't a bad wreck, but we were stuck. And, you know, he didn't have the kind of money where he could just pay for it. So he's going to put on his insurance. And this guy literally, and I got this guy at 3 o'clock in the morning in the dark on Highway 35, 20 miles from anything. And he says, I should just step out in front of a car. Why? Because he was young and his car insurance would go up. How much he didn't know, but it was going to destroy him, that his State Farm bill might go up. And this is something, so this is guys my age. We're like within a month of each other on birthdays, same year. And that was a very unusual thing at the time to have a young person that negative. What scares me now is so many of you people, we were like 21 years old when this happened. 21. You have been conditioned by society to believe that the boomers and the Gen Xers destroyed the world and the economy, and you have nothing. Bull-fucking-shit. Neither one of our generations was perfect, trust me. And this whole generational like hatred toward each other, that's just another level of class warfare, by the way. 
a problem that young people always have with older people is that older people have something younger people don't in general. There's some stupid old people, don't get me wrong. But in general, old people have more wisdom. Now, wisdom and intelligence are different things. Wisdom is the ability to assess a situation and go, yeah, I'll be all right. That's one form of wisdom. And generally it's because we've seen this before. We've done this before. It worked out before. Getting upset won't fix it. It'll be all right. And then what comes next, and here's the ways that we're going to make it all right. Young people get really nervous and upset, even really smart ones, and they lack resiliency because they also lack wisdom because you can't, you can't shortcut wisdom. Wisdom comes from a combination of intelligence and experience. And I'm sorry, but when you're 21 years old and you probably just stopped shitting your pants about three, got through kindergarten playing with Power Rangers by about seven, you've only got maybe 10 years of actual life experience that's really relevant to the world beyond, ooh, look a bug, or maybe I should put my finger up my nose and pick a booger when other people are looking. At the most, you got 10 years of, of developing wisdom. That's not a slight. That's, that's a temporal limitation. There's no way you've had the time to reflect on experience that someone that's 30s had or someone that's 50s had or someone that's 70s had. So when that person looks at your situation and goes, it ain't that bad, and by the way, here's all kinds of opportunities you have, you naturally get angry. It's, it, it's, it, it's a natural thing to get angry. Jonathan McKee, 49.99 Super Chat. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for that. Um, someone named Zen, you seriously need to chill. Drop the band hammer, Jack. What's going on? All right. I should have blocked him. I should have put him in timeout because I didn't really look, but I trust Carl. So he's gone. He's gone. Um, you, you, you have to stay positive. And the, the reason I brought all that up is I don't want the person to ask the question to get mad at me when I say that. Well, damn it, Jack, if I just, just stay positive. But it's, it's part of the thing. But there's, there's a reason that we develop the ability to say that with wisdom over time. And it's because we also accept something that a lot of younger people don't accept. And I'm, this guy could be older than me. I don't know. So I, if you're mad at me, dude, I'm sorry. I'm just reflecting on this very brief one sentence you asked. People get caught up with tunnel vision and the belief that they have to continue doing something that they don't want to do. They get caught up with that pursuing a degree program. This gentleman that I, I mentioned that talked about killing himself on the highway, one of the worst things that ever happened to him was he was so afraid he was going to die alone, he married anything he got near. He married this young woman named Deborah. She was equally troubled. And uh, this Deborah girl, she got a degree in architecture. And she went into architecture because she wanted to please her daddy, who was an architect. About halfway through her degree program, she realized she really didn't like architecture. She completed a degree in architecture, and she ended up getting a job designing closets for, like, a closet design company, which I'm sure architecture helps, but you damn sure don't need a degree in architecture to design closet layouts. That person would have been better off saying, wait a minute, I don't want to go this path anymore and just 
putting the pause button on and saying, maybe I'll redirect my education. So a lot of times when people are in financial problems and they can't seem to get ahead financially, the solution isn't just staying optimistic and working harder. It's also maybe changing what you're doing. And I can't speak to that because I don't know what this person's doing or not doing. But there's a lesson in a book, and I don't remember what book I read this in, but it was about, and I've used this analogy before, and the last time I used it, there actually there isn't one now. There was a fly literally doing the thing. If you think of a fly in a window, and that fly is using all its life force and all its energy and all its determination, it's pretty optimistic, too. I can see right out there. There's trees and flowers and stuff. And a garbage can, I can go lay eggs in and make maggots and do my duty as a fly. And they don't understand the glass. And they will literally, like, you come back tomorrow and that fly will be legs up. Probably died quicker than that fly ever had to die. It didn't die of starvation. Fly can go a decent amount of time before it has to eat something. Didn't die of old age. It probably could have lived another few days. They don't live very long, but it probably could have. That fly literally exhausted itself to death. It was so willing to commit to the goal without understanding the obstacle that it worked itself to death. It expended its entire life force pushing against an immovable wall. And I often find when you talk to people that are having fights, all right, we're back. I guess there'll be a long pause I need to edit out. Uh, for what it's worth, I wasn't swatted. I don't think the black helicopters came. Uh, we had a temporary, highly temporary, it appears, internet outage. So the uh, connect light went away on the monitor, so I'm a little bit off. Oh, what I was saying is you've got to stay positive. you got to stay positive, but you also have to be willing to change the angle of approach, to change the plan to change the trajectory. And I was saying it's not just about like, you know, making your own coffee with a French press, which is our item of the day, to, by the day uh, item of the day today, ironically, uh, than going to Starbucks. Cause young people get pissed off when you say that, but I'm going to tell you the truth. There's two types of young people that get pissed off when you say that justified and unjustified. And, and you probably just figured out if you have some years and wisdom on you, what I'm talking about. You got the young person that's already doing all that shit and still struggling to get ahead. They want you to shut your boomer hole, right? I completely agree with you. But the person that gets more upset, they're the one that does go to Starbucks every day. They're the one with the new iPhone, and they order avocado toast to go with their with their Starbucks, and they feel like, who the hell are you to tell me I shouldn't have the thing that I want? And this is the problem, and this is where the lack of wisdom comes in. And I remember being this young person myself to a degree. The person telling you that is not telling you that you should forego something because they don't want you to have what you want. If they actually mean it in a helpful manner, and most older people do, we're telling you it because we do want you to have the thing that you want. We just know that there is a pathway to get there, and you can either... Work the path, or you can get off the path and then yell about the fact you're not going in the direction you want to go. Imagine that you had somebody come to you and say, I'm trying to get to town XYZ. And you're like, well, there's a road that goes there. You passed it two miles ago. All you have to do is go two miles back down the road. You're going to see a gas station on your right. When you see the gas station on your right, hang a left 
and it'll take you straight into that town. And let's imagine there's really not another good way to get to that town. And they say, I don't want to take that road. What do you tell them? If you're like me and you want to be a total ass, you go full boomer and you go, well, you can't get there from here then. Right? <laughs> Remember that one? Right? You can't get there from here. You got to go there first. You all get there. Or you say, you know, you can do this way, but it's 60 miles around and the town's only 15 miles away. All you got to do is go back down the road and hang a left at the gas station. And when they get mad, you eventually just throw your hands up and you walk away. A lot of times when you're giving people advice, and it involves some uncomfortable things like turn the car around and go back the way you came for a while. Go backwards before you go forwards. They get really upset. But if you've, if you've driven to that town before and you're trying to help them, you're not willing to give them any other advice because you know that's the advice to take. And so I don't know where the town is and I don't know what road you need to take to stay motivated to get through your financial problems But I am telling you that it might be time to pull the map out and correct navigation. That's the softest way I put it. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you need to do that. It's just something you need to consider. And I think we always need to consider that when we're in a tough situation. And it doesn't mean we did something bad, but it might mean we're doing something wrong or suboptimally. And this is something that people need to give themselves like permission to freaking do. To go, I need to change this. And it doesn't mean I'm stupid. It doesn't mean that, or I made a mistake. And that doesn't mean that I'm, a, I'm an idiot. I made a mistake and I can correct it. This is something we tend to not be real good at as a species. Backing up, going two miles back down the road. You know, sometimes you got to go 20 miles back down the road. <laughs> Anybody here ever drive Highway 10 through Louisiana and miss an exit? Guess what? Next exit could be 20 miles. That's 40 miles. You know what your choices are? Do it or go to Florida. Right? That's just life. So I'm not, I'm not speaking down to this person because I don't know his situation. But I am saying it might just be the case if you become unemotional for about 10 minutes or 10 days, depending on how bad the situation is, and pull back, that you'll find that there are things you could do that might not be comfortable but are more doable. That's the other thing we need to learn how to do, especially when we're young, is to be uncomfortable. That this thing I'm going to have to do is going to be uncomfortable. And young parents, and there's a lot of you guys, I'm watching, I'm watching my audience grow old on one side and the other half grow up. And I'm watching so many people in my audience and my community become parents and things like that. And my son, you know, he's got an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. And I see it with him, too. You get so caught up in, I want to make sure my kids have what they need. You know, make sure that they can go do the stuff they want to do. You know what your kids want to do? They want to be with you. So if that gets in the way with your financial decisions, take your kid fishing. Take him for a walk. Get on the floor and play freaking Legos with them. All that shit's free or cheap. Take him to the museum. Take him to the zoo. 
Don't buy food at the zoo. It's expensive, but going to the zoo can be cheap. Take them to the park. Go play baseball with them. If you got a little girl, even if you're a great big man, go sit down and play Barbies with her. Because there's so much of this struggle economically that young people do. Now I'm into these people are more like mid-30s, mid-20s, mid-30s. That's for that. And they're worried about baseball games and all this shit. Your kid's not going to give a shit about that when they're where you are right now. They're not going to care that they're on this, you know, advanced baseball team. They're going to care that you throw a ball to them in the backyard. A lot of times that will alleviate a lot of need to make a tougher decision. I just feel, I could be wrong, I just feel this person has some decisions they can make in their life that won't be comfortable but would be right for them. Welcome to Jack Spear Ghost Psychic Hotline. Anyway, <laughs> last thing, I wanted to, and we're back again, more editing. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, <laughs> yeah, they got me. No, I'm back. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to kind of wrap up because um, it, uh, maybe this fits in what I've been talking about. Like sometimes it's time to change course, and uh, I think it, 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 it's time to wrap up. But the guy I wanted to tell you about, and because of this, I'm not going to get the Q&A today. I'm sorry. I plan on doing mostly Q&A. Um, named Alan Watts. And I found this dude, and I'm like, where's this guy been my whole life? Turns out he passed away in, like, 1973. And this guy had an incredible, diverse, philosophical, spiritual knowledge set that was based on, like, all the religions, like deep into Buddhism and Eastern philosophy and also deep into Christianity. And I don't know if he would have used the word to describe himself, but I, I, I listen to this guy talk and I think, what a great deist. And, of course, that I self-identify with that. And I would just say that uh, you could do worse than to, uh, to get over on YouTube and search for Alan Watts, A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T-S, and find some of his talks and listen to him. The guy wrote like a bazillion books. And I, I've just, I found a lot of interest in, in listening to him lately. And he makes a lot of sense. And like, one of the things that I really, uh, really resonated with me, we talk about the way we face death. Right? We face death as this completely negative thing and we have to do it and all. And he's like, you know, we really should face death a lot more optimistically. And he wasn't talking about wanting to die. And he wasn't talking about self-harm. He was just talking about the inevitability that at some point we all cease to exist as we think of ourselves here. And how much better off we would be at that time if everybody was like, and it's, he's actually really funny too. And he's like, oh, it'll be great. You'll die. It'll be fun. You won't have to worry about paying bills anymore. Right? It's like, I don't know. Like, I just think that if you are a person who is totally content with organized religion, great. Continue on. If you're a person that is like, 100% atheist, and you just don't care, you still might enjoy this. But if you're the person like me that says, I believe there is some grander scope to the things of the universe and something divine in all people, that I think this might be like one of the, one of the most interesting paths you could take. With that, I want to wrap up. I want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Let's see if I can get through this before I get kicked out again, but my item of the day is one I haven't brought around for a very long time, but it's on sale today. 
It's the stainless steel insulated French press by Secura. You can find it at tspaz.com or just go to the survivalpodcast.com. It's double wall insulated. We use this thing every day. I own two of them. We have two of the big ones. I had tea, so the little one is right here in my hand. You can see it is the same thing for real. Um, love these things. They are fantastic. High quality, well made like everything that I recommend. And the 34-ounce one, which was the one I just showed you, is on sale for 33% off. The 50-ounce one, which is the big one, it's the one we always bring out when we have friends over. Uh, in fact, we, like I said, we own two of those. Um, it's on sale for like 40, let me look real quick. I had it up, 41% off. That's a hell of a discount. And uh, so it's really worth uh, checking out. You can always support the show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. Uh, remember, I'm big on building wealth and value in your life. And I say if you don't use the fold card, you hate money in the form of Bitcoin. And that's like a double sin. Don't do that. Uh, if you want to know more about the fold card, I set up a page just for it. You can go to the bitcoinbreakout.com, thebitcoinbreakout.com forward slash fold, F-O-L-D, and learn all about it. And with that, I will wrap up today. Sorry for the introductions. I know it definitely threw my timing off, but it was an enjoyable uh, stream with you guys anyway. I'll be back tomorrow. It'll also be a Just Jack show. I'll try to do a little bit better of a job for you. Take care, guys. Let me get out of here before we lose internet again. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you.